Well, uh, when Jenny and I started out in pastoral ministry, for the first three years, we were in youth ministry. And there was one thing that I hated about youth ministry. You know what that was? Any guesses? Lock-ins, fundraising, those are great answers. What's that, kids? (laughs) The kids? Oh, of course that's Mike. (laughs) Those Those are good nominees, and those are part of the reason why we decided not to be in youth ministry once we had kids. But really, the thing that I hated about youth ministry was high school graduation. I absolutely hated those things, being with the kids regularly and then seeing them graduate and then just knowing they were not part of our group anymore. Now, fast forward 17 years or so, here I am now, and do you know what the hardest part for me so far about being a parent is? High school graduation, or that idea, I've, this, this, I've got a 17-year-old junior who took the SAT this past week, so it's hitting me, Wow. I'm really close in our family to a high school graduation. I really treasure having my kids around, and there's just a part of me that's like, no, I can't, I can't let go. I can't let go of this. Uh, So as a father, that's that's really difficult for me. But one thing that's just constant in this world, this ever-changing world, is transition. And one of the things with transition, transitions can be really good, but there's also loss that comes with transition as well. And that's what's hitting me. No, I'm not losing my kids, but them not being in my house anymore. That idea is that transition, that loss from their presence daily with me is difficult. Every milestone that we go through, it's another reminder that, yeah, we are losing things. Things are changing, whether it's a graduation, a job change, a retirement, a move. Uh, a marriage, like they're just things, these great milestones that we even celebrate, they're a reminder that we're losing something too. There's a pastor named Carl Vaders who says that people go to church for two reasons. So this maybe affects all of us, hopefully it does. Number one, to radically change their life. And number two, to connect with someone who never changes. So in this world of of uncertainty and problems, and we we need hope that things can get better. And we also, in this world where we're losing things, to hold on, be able to hold on to something, someone that never changes. So today we're going to start at the very beginning. We're going to Genesis. And I will have to admit, I got lost in a few um, rabbit holes this week. I do not have much of a background in Hebrew, but I really got sucked into it uh, because... The Old Testament is mostly written in Hebrew. And we're looking at some of the names for God in Genesis. Hebrew names for God. So we're going to cover a few of those, these, and it gets really complicated because the Old Testament was written in ancient Hebrew. And the translations, probably all of us, there might be a few exceptions here, but we're reading an English transition, translation. So there, there are places when our translations will say something like God or Lord, and it might be a totally different Hebrew word. And it's really, you can dive into this, there's a lot of complexity in it, but it's not an exact science. It's not, we could say, uh, Spanish, Dios is what in English? God, okay. It's not quite as easy as that in Hebrew. So the first name that we're going to look at is Elohim. Genesis 1-1, one, one. 
in the beginning, right? That's Elohim, God created. And, and, and we translate that as God. There are lots of different ways that people could actually translate Elohim. One of, the, one of the things that this conveys, it could be God to a different people. It could be plural God. In the Hebrew Bible, it's singular, so there's one God. But um, there's also this story in the Hebrew Scriptures where the first king of Israel, Saul, is consulting a medium. And she looks, and she's bringing up the spirit of Samuel, the prophet Samuel who had died. And it calls that spirit Elohim. So we, it's the same word there. We don't call Samuel a god. But Elohim, it's complex in what it communicates. It can be God. We translate it God. It can be a spirit. Uh, we're using it here as a creator god. Next, we'll move on to Yahweh, or the Latinized version, Jehovah. Yahweh comes in Genesis 2. And when we communicate that in, in our English translations, it usually shows up as Lord, all caps. And that conveys Israel's God, the God who appeared to Abraham. Another one is El Elyon. And that El, that first part of it, it's kind of a reference to Elohim. It's a way of saying God, and Elyon is most high. So El Elyon, God most high. Adonai, um, <clears throat> that's another one. Adonai uh, is, is sort of thought to be a replacement for Yahweh. Yahweh was such a holy name to many of the scribes writing the scriptures down that they would just, they wouldn't write the vowels, they would just write the, the consonants, and then they would sometimes throw the pen away. And also it was considered so holy it was not even spoken. So we're not even really sure on the pronunciation because we don't have the vowels and it wasn't spoken. So sometimes it seems like Adonai was maybe a replacement for Yahweh, and it's usually translated as Lord. So we're kind of, it's kind of leading us. There's, there's a popular song from the 80s that's, that bled into the 90s, and there's some lines, so we're going to do the translation. Er, uh, El Elyon na Adonai, one way we could say that is, please be my Lord, and Er Kankam na Adonai, we love you, Lord. So that leads us into the next term that we're using, and this is the last term for a while. So uh, it's El Shaddai. When we translate this in the English, it's usually God Almighty. Now this is what I spent way too much time on this last week, because it's complicated. It, there's a lot of different ideas. If you Google th these things, you may find different answers. So again, this is not an exact science. So El Shaddai, what, what is that a reference to? Some scholars point to Shadu, which means mountain. So some people will translate this as God of the mountain, God who can help overcome. Now this is where it really gets hairy though. Shad, the first part of that is breast. And I've got a eighth grade son here, so I want to be really careful here on the translations. But that is one, and a breast, the breast of a mother can be protective, and it can provide nourishment. And again, I'm trying to be careful here, because we probably have some people here who can yank my credentials. So I'm going to try to keep it as PG as we can. So when, when we're looking at that, some, some people say that that points to God taking care of our needs, providing sustenance, like a mother protecting the child or providing uh, some people translate it as the God who is more than enough, the God who is providing. Um, 
So, so within that now, uh, we're going to look at the first occurrence of El Shaddai in the Hebrew Scriptures, which is Genesis 17, 1 through 2. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Now keep in mind here it said that Abram at the time his name was changed here to Abraham. Abraham was 99 years old. His wife who was the wife of the promise Sarah was about 89 years old. That is past the childbearing years, right? Can we all agree on that? 89 years old. God had already previously stated this promise to Abraham and Sarah. Probably decades ago. Maybe even when Sarah was in her childbearing years, or at least closer to them. God had made this promise. But for decade after decade, God did not deliver. Now God appeared to Abraham in the, the Hebrew scriptures as Elohim, the creator, as we're kind of calling that, and as Yahweh, the God of Israel, later that personalized God. God appeared to Abraham, and again, for decades there were disappointment. But here he appears to Abraham as El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough, the God who, who blesses and protects and, and provides overflowing nourishment. He reaffirms this, and then it happens after El Shaddai shows up and says, Sarah's going to have a child. Sarah has a child within about a year. They name him Isaac. He's the child of the promise. Everyone lived happily ever after the end. Worship team, come on up. Let's start singing, right? El Shaddai, El Shaddai, right? Okay, not yet, not yet. Sorry, false, false alarm. You wish. We're going we're gonna to skip. We're going we're gonna to go s- several years later. Over a decade later, Genesis 22.1 says, Some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. I just kind of want to stop here. Do you remember how old Abraham was when God finally came through on the promise? 9900 when Isaac was born, right? Sarah, how long did she have to wait? I mean, if she started expecting when she was 20, we'll say, and 90, I mean, that is so, so long. Now, don't you think 100 years of testing is enough? High schoolers, don't you think 17 or 18 years of testing is enough? Well, then there's college, right? Now, wouldn't it be nice if you just, like, completed some degree, you took the test, and that was enough, you wouldn't have to be tested again, right? Doesn't that sound nice? Is anybody there yet? Dan is? 69 must be the magic age, huh? Oh, no more teaching tests. So maybe we can do, for me, no more geometry tests is good news. But no more tests. But that doesn't apparently seem to be God's way of thinking. Because here he's testing Abraham. So then Genesis 22.2 says, Then God said, 
Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. What? Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem very much like God to me. Not maybe some sort of form of Elohim. Some, that's something that other religions do. Commanded child sacrifice. Uh, but the prophets of Yahweh, they were really clear that this was detestable to God. This was just a terrible thing that God, Yahweh, did not want people to sacrifice their children to honor him. But here in this instance, God does it with Abraham. And it seems to make no sense. In Genesis, we hear this, this heart-wrenching story. Because Abraham, just like any of us who are parents, dearly loved his child, just like we do, more precious than our own lives. And, and he's this heart-wrenching experience of taking Isaac up the mountain to go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. And then once, once he gets Isaac on the altar, he takes the knife, and he's ready to slay Isaac, and then this happens. But the angel of the Lord called out to him. And there's Lord. There's that Yahweh again, Yahweh Jehovah. But the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up. And there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now this takes us today to the last Hebrew name that we will look at. It's Yahweh Yaira, or again, the Latinized version, Jehovah Jireh which means the Lord will provide. Now this story, it's a relief that Abraham didn't have to go through and kill his son, right? It's a relief, but it's still awfully confusing. It makes God, it, like why would God even go through the charade of asking Abraham to do something so terrible? It's, it's confusing. And, and I just wonder why. And I think the, one of the questions we have is, what if this story is just an, a puzzle piece that fits with a much larger story? Do you remember the name of the place where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac? Moriah. Some scholars, now again, this isn't unanimous, but some scholars believe that the name of Mount Moriah would change years later to a place called Golgotha. Does that ring any bells? Golgotha. Now, it was on Golgotha that one who was said to be the Lamb of, the, the Lamb of God. You remember Abraham said, the Lord will provide the lamb, a baby sheep. But then God provided a ram, an adult male sheep. But then there was somebody provided. The Lamb of God came and gave his life on a place called Golgotha. What if... This puzzle piece that makes just a little bit of sense, but not complete sense with Abraham and Isaac, pointed us to something and pointed us to what it says in John 3, 16 and 17. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. To Abraham, God revealed himself as El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough, as Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. And in Christ, God revealed himself as self-sacrificial love. As Hebrews 13.8 declares, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. From generation to generation, before Abraham and beyond, from age to age, that God is still the same. And God is revealing himself as Jehovah Jireh, as El Shaddai, as Christ. God is revealing himself. In a world of scarcity, what we see from generation to generation, that we can have hope that God is enough. From age to age, we can see in a broken world where we suffer loss and hurt and pain, we can see that God is a rock who anchors our hope into, into the, the hope that we have that some things never change, some things are eternal. Maybe what death is not what it looks like to us. This morning, if you feel drawn to Christ, we are grateful. We're grateful, and, and we, we believe so much in Christ and what he does in our lives, and uh, we can follow him. So if you want to follow Christ, we celebrate with you. We're, we're family here that does this together. And we also say that, that Jesus did not come to end our tests. As much as maybe sometimes I wish he just took the test away and say, you're graduated, you've crossed the finish line, everything's glory to glory from here on out. Jesus didn't come to take away those tests or problems. He didn't come to save us from those tests, but he promised to help us through. Jesus said that he came so that we might have life and have it abundant and have it eternal. Jesus came to offer us the grace that is enough for us, more than enough for us. In a few moments, we're going to observe an ancient practice that we call communion. This is a really, this is a really, can we, uh, can we go to the next screen? Sorry. Are we, are we not there? All right. <laughs> Thank you. In a few moments, we're going to observe, again, that ancient practice that has been handed down from generation to generation. As we observe communion, we remember Christ. We are connected to the great I am who appeared to Moses. We are connected to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is a glorious time that we have, who is not the God of the dead, but of the living, and who is present here with us. We are connected today in communion with the great cloud of witnesses from every tribe and nation, every generation, celebrating that we get to be a part of something so great and so much more wonderful and beautiful than many of us, any of us individually could ever comprehend. Will you pray with me? Feel free to, to pray with me here. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, debts, as we forgive our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.